Inside the IC is sponsored by Microsoft Federal, the choice for classified missions. Welcome to Inside the IC, sponsored by Microsoft Federal on Federal News Network. Now your host, Justin Doubleday. My guest today is Dr. Kimberly Ferguson-Walter, Program Manager for the Reimagining Security with Cyberpsychology Informed Network Defenses, or RESIND program at IARPA. Hey, Dr. Ferguson-Walter, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and so let's talk a little bit about the RESIND program. What is this all about? It sounds really interesting, using psychology against cyber attackers. What's this project all about and what are its goals? So if you've been around in the cybersecurity world, you've probably heard somebody say that the human factor is the weakest link in cybersecurity. So we know people make errors, people make mistakes, people miscalculate risks, and it can also be hard to train them not to repeat these mistakes. But this statement tends to be focused on the mistakes of users, software developers, and system administrators. But I believe that this human factor can also be leveraged against cyber attackers. So this program it will focus on just that, on flipping the tables to make the human factor the weakest link in cyber attacks. Yeah, I mean, obviously, psychology plays such a huge role in how cyber attacks are designed, whether it's you know phishing and getting someone to click on a link. And so this kind of flips that on its head a little bit. Can you explain a little bit more about how exactly you envision doing that? You talk about, uh, I think, in the project um, technical description here, cognitive vulnerabilities. What are those and and how might they be exploited in this case? Great question. So we use the term cognitive vulnerability as an umbrella term that encompasses uh, cognitive and decision-making biases. Um, So these could be things like the sunk cost fallacy that makes people continue to work on an area even though they should switch to an alternate path. Uh, includes uh, innate cognitive limitations. So like um, people can only remember so many things, right? So that's a a limitation. It includes uh, emotion and mental state. So for example, if you're frustrated, you might behave differently um, than otherwise. And uh, also physiological vulnerabilities. So people can behave differently when they're, let's say, sleep deprived or under stress. And so we're interested in those concepts, but um, as far as they can result in a reduced uh, cyber attacker success or effectiveness. And how will you go about identifying those vulnerabilities in a cyber attacker? Good question. So as part of the program, um, we're looking for novel approaches to do a variety of things um, to this end goal. One, we're looking for performers to identify and model human limitations or cognitive vulnerabilities that are specifically relevant to cyber attacker behavior. Two, uh, we're looking to understand, measure, and induce changes in cyber attacker behavior and success on network. So we're going to be using cyber data available to network defenders, and we're going to be utilizing uh, system and network calls already available to us. And three, provide algorithms for automated adaptation of these solutions uh, based on observed cyber attacker behavior. And so if a a company will kind of be able to access all these things, a company or a university or whatever, whoever might propose to do this, they don't have to bring this data in. You'll kind of be able to provide some of it to them and they can also provide their own approaches to maybe gleaning these vulnerabilities. Is that right? 
Yeah. So, so we're asking for uh, performers uh, to come in. It's a very multidisciplinary effort. And so we're asking the performers to come in with a human subjects research experimental plan on how they are going to uh, determine what biases or cognitive vulnerabilities are most uh, applicable to a cyber attacker, sort of like what phases of the cyber attack they focus on, and what are the right kinds of situations that we can create in the cyber domain to induce or intensify these biases in order to uh, reduce attacker success. Got it. Interesting. I mean, it's it's really fascinating thinking about kind of taking the uh, the proverbial cloak off of the cyber attacker. They always seem like such shadowy figures, and maybe you you can really delve into their minds a little bit and, and figure out what what exactly uh, what their weaknesses are. So that that seems really really interesting. And then there's different phases to this project. Can you kind of explain how that will work? Sure. Yeah. So this is a 45-month program. It has three phases. The first phase is really about figuring out which cognitive vulnerabilities are most applicable. How do you measure them um, accurately with using data we have as cyber defenders? And how do you induce them uh, by creating situations in cyberspace? The second phase is more about, well, when, when should you use which ones? Right, So we have to learn about these different cognitive vulnerabilities. They may be situational dependent. And so you need to know things like uh, what external features matter. Is it going to be a host-based trigger you're doing or a network trigger? Do time factors matter? Other mission contexts? What about the attacker behaviors in general? Do individual differences matter? Uh, Does it matter if this, uh, you know, somebody tends to be more risk-averse or less risk-averse? And then there are sort of well-known factors that affect uh, cognitive biases, such as some are uh, more powerful if there is uncertainty involved, or some are more powerful if you have time constraints, and sort of figuring out all of those different aspects, but in the cyber context. And then uh, the third phase is about how do you automate it? How do you combine the different approaches? Um, and uh, how do we model the behavior that we've been measuring? So a large part of the program is uh, human subjects research. So we're planning to do large scale experimentation with cyber experts to help evaluate the techniques and approaches that the the performers are delivering. And so that's gonna create a, a new exciting data set that we're hoping to make available publicly. So actually this this could become public data one day to help cyber defenders across the world to try to understand this issue. That's, yeah, that's right. So I um, I really feel like there's been a lack of research and understanding that human aspect of cyber, both from the defender and attacker side. And one of the problems, if you talk to researchers who are trying to work in this area, data is always their number one, well, I can't do it, I don't have the data. And so we're hoping to provide a a data set that will be um, open for people to do future research in um, cyber decision making. Got it. And it sounds like phases two and three will really be focused on the question of how exactly you embed this in cyber defenses, whatever that might mean, whether it's how software developers develop their 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 products or how how network defenders 
actually put together their different, you know, detection response capabilities. It sounds like those phases will kind of move this more toward reality. Am I getting that basically right? Yeah, you're right. So in phase one, um, there's a lot of psychology involved. It's a lot of the um, psychology that's been done for decades, it doesn't necessarily abstract directly to the cyber domain. So we need to do that, uh, you know, new specific experiments um, looking at cyber. And then when we get to the further phases, yes, we're looking at actually developing the software to work on system. And then, uh, you know, as we get on to phase three, we're looking at um, making it more more usable, more automated, and more transitionable. Got it. I guess I should have asked this earlier, but you know, how, how many different participants do you expect there will be in this effort if that's been decided at this point? That's a good question. So we don't decide in advance how many participants. Um, we wait and see what proposals come in and what our mission needs and budget are, and then we make decisions at that point. But I'm hoping to see a lot. Yeah, sure, absolutely. And then, in terms of tracking progress, do you think that there will you'll have maybe some some public updates as you you know phase one initially identify some of these cognitive vulnerabilities, or are you hoping to kind of keep it a little bit more close hold until you get through the whole process? So this is going to be fully unclassified research, and we are um, hoping to have performers uh, publish at conferences and in journals along the way. And I think that there will be a lot of interesting results even starting in phase one. Got it. Yeah, well, it'll be fascinating to, to watch that evolve. Taking a step back, what, what are the origins of this project? How did it come about? And is there any existing research into this idea of kind of cyber psychology informed defenses? So for the past, I don't know, 10 years or so, I've been working in the area of cyber deception. And so the origins of this idea do come from some of the research that's done there. While research is limited, there are several companies that are now focusing on cyber deception technologies. And these include things like honeypots, decoy systems, and honey tokens. IARPA had actually previously um, put out an RFI uh, to these kinds of companies. And what we discovered was that they seldom included behavioral scientists as part of their team, and they seldom performed human subjects research um, while creating these techniques or to test the techniques. And so instead, um, these deception technologies are actually you know, constructed by engineers and technologists, and they're, they're good ideas and they, and they work well. Um, but the psychological theory and impact feels like more of an afterthought. And so this program sort of seeks to reverse this process and first understand the foundational cyber psychology and then build the technology based on those findings. And has there been any sort of research into cyber psychology in general, uh, specifically looking at the mind of a hacker or, or you know, attacker or whatever you, you might want to call that, that type of person? So the broad work, like if you were to go out and pick up like a cyber psychology textbook right now, it would be not cyber focused at all. So we can see that techniques used in online advertising, political campaigning, e-commerce, online gaming, they successfully profit from known vulnerabilities in human psychology. Um, and so we want to sort of take that and apply it to cyber defense. But if you were to go pick up a textbook right now, you would see it focused on like online dating, cyberbullying, online gaming, things like that. 
And I feel like part of the reason is that we don't have enough teams that have cybersecurity experts and behavioral scientists working together. Um, and so we're really hoping to see uh, that increase as part of this program. And again, I'm speaking with Dr. Kimberly Ferguson-Walter, Program Manager for the Rescind Program at IARPA. We're going to take a short break, but we'll pick up the conversation when we come back. I'm Justin Doubleday, and you're listening to Inside the IC on Federal News Network. With the broadest range of breakthrough technology solutions, Microsoft Azure for Government is the choice for classified missions. Built for government agencies and their partners, unlock insights, build new capabilities, and empower collaboration in secret and top-secret environments. Microsoft Azure is built for national security missions, combining cloud-native capability with classified networks, hybrid and multi-cloud, to create a developer-friendly platform that is ready anywhere and secure everywhere. Visit MicrosoftFederal.com. That's MicrosoftFederal.com. Welcome back to Inside the IC on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Justin Doubleday, and I'm speaking with Dr. Kimberly Ferguson-Walter, Program Manager for Rescind at the Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Agency. It strikes me that one issue that's really arisen within the past few years that's put more of a face to the cyber attacker and this whole notion of of who's on the other side of the, the keyboard is ransomware and ransomware gangs in recent years. Um, you know, we, we, I guess, understand a little bit more about these people. There's stories, uh, you know, videos of them being, you know, busted by police or whatever. But, you know, has that, in terms of, you know, not just putting a, a face to the cyber attacker, but also understanding these people, has that, you know, fed into this at all, this whole ransomware idea and how it's really just elevated cyber as an issue? So what I will say is that there are uh, experts um, in operational psychology who do um, cyber profiling. So like there's a cyber, a cyber BAU as part of the FBI, for example. And so um, it's their job to sort of understand that person uh, behind the attack and so what we're doing is a little bit different, though, you know, we, we, we do talk to that community um, because we're looking at actually building the technologies. So, so that's our goal is to understand how we can uh, understand using cyber data, uh, like network data, like uh, what commands are you running, like what strategies are you using? Like, um, what makes you change your strategy? Things, things that are very different than um, what a profile, profiler may look at, um, you know, words you use in a, in a chat. Um, so different kinds of data. And then the, the interaction is, is different too, because we're looking for a computer-driven interaction um, with that attacker. Um, so what can we do to create what I like to call a cyber penalty? How can we make them uh, waste their resources? How can we make them uh, delayed? How can we make them you know, waste their cognitive effort? Uh, how do we make it harder on them so we can make it easier on our defenders? And so for this, for, for our program, it's all about how can you deal with, uh, how can you create technology 
to deal with a human attacker who has already infiltrated your networks. Got it. Yeah, that, that's that's helpful. You're you're already kind of in this this game, and you're trying to draw them off sides uh, as part of this project. I was also wondering. We talked about this a little bit, but how, how might the outputs from this project be practic- practically embedded in current and planned cyber defense architectures? You know, do, do you do you have a plan to engage the the big technology companies who are maybe building some of this? technology or or the cybersecurity companies who are on the front lines of defending networks? So IARPA, what, what our job is, is that we facilitate the research uh, and transition our findings and uh, technologies to other IC members for use. So we don't really have a say in how they put the technology to use. But obviously, cybersecurity is a worldwide issue. And you can imagine that the companies that are um, creating solutions, hopefully they will continue to do so after the program. And so what we like to see is sort of that, that jump of industry now has the ability and the desire to work in this area that may previously have been too high risk for them to take on. Got it. Sure. And, and then just in terms of IARPA's programming, particularly around cyber, how does this fit in more broadly to to how the agency is really looking at this important issue? So IARPA is interested in uh, cyber problems, and I think that we will see more cyber-focused problems coming out of IARPA in the near future. And again, that was Dr. Kimberly Ferguson-Walter, Program Manager for Rescind at IARPA. The next topic today is personnel vetting. The White House is establishing some ambitious new targets for how long it should take to get through the vetting and security clearance processes. This story originally aired earlier this month on the Federal Drive. Four years ago, at the height of the background investigations backlog, it was taking the government more than 200 days on average to process a secret level clearance. For top secret clearance applications, more than 400 days. The new goals for clearing people applying to government positions, 25 days for a public trust position, 40 days for secret level security clearance and high risk public trust positions, and 75 days for top secret clearance. As Senate Intelligence Committee Chairman Mark Warner puts it, This would be wild. 25, 40, and 75 days is the three categories. You get there, you'll never get any grief from me. Because it's so much shorter. Warner was speaking to Biden administration officials after they shared those new goals at a March 29th hearing on personnel vetting. The new targets are part of the Trusted Workforce 2.0 initiative that has already overhauled many aspects of the government's vetting processes. The Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency has done away with the investigation's backlog and processing times are down sharply. Continuous vetting has replaced periodic reinvestigations for most people. But it still takes months for many initial applicants to be cleared, especially in the intelligence community. Lawmakers are concerned agencies and contractors are missing out on talented people who won't wait around for the lengthy vetting process. Senate Intelligence Committee Ranking Member Marco Rubio. Who can sit around for two or three years to wait to be hired, especially when we're competing with the private sector for some of this talent. Where I'm most interested in learning is how do we balance the need to bring in people you can trust and and understand who they are 
with the desire to do it quickly enough so that this is a viable option for people that want to come work here. And there. The latest government-wide numbers from the fourth quarter of fiscal 2022 show it took an average of 76 days to process an initial secret-level clearance application. For top-secret clearances, it took an average of 127 days. And the new goals are an even bigger stretch, considering agencies only track the fastest 90% of cases today. Jason Miller, the Deputy Director for Management at the White House Office of Management and Budget, says OMB is going to start measuring 100% of cases, even the worst outliers. The current system only measures the 90% fastest, so we have a huge tail that we're not even measuring. We're trying to measure everything so we can manage it and make sure that we're really driving transformative impact. The ambitious new timelines also wouldn't apply to most of the intelligence community. While DCSA handles clearance cases for 95% of government, intelligence agencies handle their own clearance investigations. They often have additional requirements, like a polygraph exam, that add even more time to the overall process. As part of the Fiscal 2023 National Defense Authorization Act, lawmakers directed intelligence agencies to set a goal of onboarding personnel in 180 days. Deputy Director of National Intelligence Stacey Dixon. Our goal is to try to come as close to that as possible, given that we have additional steps required to get to the extra level of security clearance, as well as the polygraphs and the medical in some cases. Lawmakers also remain frustrated with reciprocity, which refers to the process for individuals who are already cleared to have their clearance accepted by another agency. Delays in granting reciprocity have made it harder for individuals to move in between positions in government and industry. Here's Maine Independent Angus King. If they have a top-secret clearance at the Department of Defense, why isn't that good enough for the CIA? Contractors for the intelligence community have pressed agencies to speed up reciprocity decisions. Dixon says agencies can grant clearance reciprocity for contractors in 90% of cases within five days. But 10% of cases present a challenge, she added, where one agency may require additional processes before granting access to a cleared individual. But Warner says it's oftentimes months for employees and contractors to move from one cleared intelligence position to another. My view is, belief is, we have a complete mishmash. And the lack of reciprocity, or even the kind of not knowing for sure if you're at DHS and you want to go to DOE and then you want to go to NRO, we've got a lot of work to do in this space. We can do this, we can protect the enterprise, and we can be much more efficient. Lawmakers also wondered whether the Defense Department and intelligence community could look to alternatives to the polygraph examination. A report published last year by the Intelligence and National Security Alliance found it can take up to 18 months to obtain a polygraph due to a shortage of examiners. Ronald Moultrie, Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security, says DOD isn't planning to phase out the polygraph, but its National Center for Credibility Assessment is studying other options. It is the tool, the gold standard that we have right now. We have had a discussion within the Department of Defense as to whether or not new technologies might be augmentative to polygraphs. Is there something out there that would allow us to monitor some of the same things that a polygraph monitors? But those are in the very early stages of discussion. But we believe that looking at technology and being able to enhance any process is the way that we ought to go. Despite lingering questions about polygraphs, reciprocity delays, and other issues, senators on the Intelligence Committee applauded officials for the progress they've made in reducing personnel vetting timelines across government 
and for setting the ambitious new goals. But Warner says it's an issue that will continue to require high-level focus and attention, particularly in the intelligence community. We're losing great personnel because they just can't wait. Maybe I'm a little obsessed about this, but I think it's going to take a little bit of relentless obsession because it's easier to stick with the status quo. And that's our show for today. That story you just heard about the updates to security clearance vetting originally aired earlier this month on The Federal Drive. You also heard from Dr. Kimberly Ferguson-Walter, program manager for Rescind at IARPA, at the top of the show. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Inside the IC, sponsored by Microsoft Federal. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your podcast feed. Search for Inside the IC on Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you get your shows.